Hello and welcome to the RevOps Show. Your game, your rules. That's the glory of system design. To Doug, RevOps is only as good as the design of its operating system. Put another way, your system is perfectly designed to get the results you're currently getting. So if you want to change your results, you need to change your system. But the problem is that you can't judge or assess your system from within it. Doug chose this episode because it digs into what the critical discipline of system design means. Our best of RevOps series continues by showcasing the structure of system design to maximize your value and help you manage the trade-offs to ask better questions and make better decisions. So with that, let's get into the rerun of this episode. Jess, happy Friday. Happy Friday, man. God of the nest. There it is. This is going to be a great episode, I can tell already. It is going to be, it is going to be great. It is going to be great. By the way, um, if you go on LinkedIn, you'll see that you were mentioned on LinkedIn. Was I? By who? You? No. Um, God, I'm going blank on her name. Somebody, uh, somebody listened to uh, the episode from last week. Oh. Um, on the mistakes and uh, basically said, it. has anybody in RevOps ever been called uh, the, the Department of Sales Prevention? And they had the little hand raised emoji and takeaways, et cetera. So I nice. saw it just before I came on. So I'm like, all, I'm all ready to, I'm like, what are we talking about? <laughs> RevOps journey. Let's go, RevOps. You're jazz. You know what else? You, you know what else? You know what else has happened since our last episode, Jess? We closed business? Of course. Oh, okay. But something even more special than that. What happened? You don't know? No. Opening day was yesterday. Oh, God. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't realize opening... It's off schedule. I can't can't keep track. Yesterday was New Year's Day. I should have known opening day was yesterday. I saw the Reds one. And they said... They did? Yeah, they they did. I can tell you about the 1976 starting lineup for the Reds. I cannot <laughs> tell you. I don't know if I could tell you a player on the team this year. So they suck, apparently. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, Jess, there was a time where I could have told you the starting lineup mm-hmm. for every team in Major League Baseball. I believe it. I believe it. Not anymore. So, you know, on my Twitter feed, Buster Olney or Bob Nightingale or somebody had, um, you know, tweeted what the opening day lineup was for for a team. And this is the first time ever that I can recall this because usually I can figure out who the team is because I, I would still know enough. I did not recognize a single name. I have no idea what team. I don't even know if it was a real lineup. I'm disappointed in you. Oh, I'm disappointed in myself. I think I think that is the oldest I have ever felt. I don't, I don't think I want to be back when I knew the starting lineup for every team. That was probably a little, a little too much, but uh, yeah. So what are we talking well, we about? Are, today, we Jeff? are not here to talk about baseball. We are always here to talk about baseball. <laughs> Let's just make that clear. Okay. Okay. I want to talk. Or a pun. One of those two things takes precedence over. It's true. Everything. It's true. It's true. Um, you know what I you call talk- a zoo with all dogs, right? It's a shit zoo. But um, bum. Okay. Um, I want to talk about system design today. Aren't you excited? I am. 
We we Hardy, let's talk about what it, what it, I'm you know, sorry, the, I didn't hear what you said. The people who don't watch the video don't get the full effect of my reaction to your random and randomness. It, it, it makes me happy. <laughs> so we we talk about system design a lot on the on the podcast. So I hey, hey we, Jess, we my, my soundboard wasn't working, so I actually wasn't listening to you. So can you repeat what our segue to the topic is just so I'm on the same page? I want to talk about system design. That oh, we're talking about segue. system design today. Okay, cool. System design. That's what that's what the topic is for today. Um, no, I thought we were so, talking about something else. So that's good. We're good. I know you I know you slacked me something, but I, I I it wasn't clear to me. So it is Friday, people. We are focused, we are locked in, we are ready to go. <laughs> so we we hit on system design a lot in the podcast, so I thought it would be good for us to talk about just system design as a, as a topic. So first of all, what is system design? How would you explain system design? You know, it, it, it it's funny because I got asked this question from somebody that that um, direct messaged me on Slack. I'm sorry, on on LinkedIn. Um, after watching our uh, our RevOps. Um, webinar on, you know, setting up, structuring successful RevOps. And, you know, it, 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 it kind of hit me that I can, like talking about system design in a way that fits into a single podcast is, is probably harder than I, um, than, than, than what I thought. So, so what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to pull this from, um, we actually have a blog post and um, video on what is system design and how does it apply, et cetera. Um, so, so first I'm going to give kind of the global element system design comes from design theory. So system design is the approach to understand design and systemize the flow of value from various aspects of an organization through the value chain. So how a company creates value, generates value to ensure synchronicity. And I'm not talking about just the police here, Jess, to ensure synchronicity, consistency, integration, and maximization, you could say optimization, between people, activities, process, policies, places, and resources. So, so basically, what system design is, is everything, right? It, it, it's bringing everything into account. And, and, you know, we talk about in the revenue acceleration framework, we talk about the second level is um, structure. Really, mm-hmm. system design is the embodiment of structure. Right. And, and, and the reason that I call it out individually is people talk about tech as a system. And so when we talk about systems, people, more people than not, at least in the business world that I've dealt with, have a tendency to view tech application and system as, as synonyms. So like we're talking about an implementation, somebody's on HubSpot. And I say, you know, you need to understand what the underlying system is. And like, oh, it's HubSpot. I'm like, no, no, that's not the underlying system. That's yep. the tool. That, that's the tech. Now, the process of system design is the ongoing process. Like, how does this apply to doing system design on an ongoing regular basis? It's the ongoing process of making trade-offs. That's a word that comes up a lot in our podcast, it doesn't is. it? It is. It, the process of making ongoing trade-offs and adjustments necessary to align all vectors, right? All your elements of, of what's involved to generate motion, 
uh, to align all vectors to maximize value creation within, and this is an important one, within the constraints that exist, right? And, and so where I see people fall off is they design or they think about design for the perfect world. They think about design. And, and if, you li- you know, if you look at most people talking about what someone should do or whatever, there's an underlying assumption that, as an example, resources aren't limited. And, and, you know, that's why I always say that, you know, when I first got into this world of business advisory and I, you know, I used to consume books that was, you know, people asked me who was my mentor. And my answer was actually about 300 different books. And what, you know, what I discovered is I'd, I'd read or learn and I, you know, some consultant or some author and it would have turned out, you know, well, where they did all this, they were at GE back in GE's heyday. I'm like, okay. And, and by the way, I'm not taking away that there's a lesson to be learned, but the, the difficulty is that GE's in a completely different world. Like, I, I mean, I, I would joke around and say, look, hey, if I could write, you know, if, if I could issue $2 billion in bonds at a 2.1% interest rate, I could do a lot of things that I can't consider right now. I, I remember one of, this is when I fell in love with Brian Halligan at HubSpot. He was, it was, so it was the first inbound I went to. Um, and there was a session for partners about what partners can learn from HubSpot's journey to, I guess they were probably about a hundred million dollars then somewhere around there. And, and someone had asked a question and each of the executives was answering. And then Brian picked up, he goes, now look, everybody, one thing to keep in mind when we're talking about this is realize we have raised a hundred million dollars. So what we're doing or what we did, you know, that may not apply for you. And I was like, Oh my God, finally, somebody, you know, somebody said that. So, you know, you know, th- th- this is why I don't believe in, in, in right and wrong. This is why I don't believe in, I'm sorry, right or wrong as it relates to implementation, um, not as it relates to my value system. <laughs> and, and, you know, and why so much of, you know, the first answer is always, it depends, seek to understand before you answer is everybody's got different sets of constraints. And, and by the way, not all constraints are physical. I, I would say most constraints are not physical. Most constraints are mental. And I think the other element that people have a tendency to do is they look at constraints as bad. It's kind of a negative word, isn't it? It is. I mean, it yeah. sounds negative. Why does it sound yeah. like, is that just because we've learned it? I mean, constraint, it sounds, it's like the German language. Everything sounds like it's bad. Someone's <laughs> done something wrong. But, you know, constraint just kind of has negativity written all over it. The, the thing, you know, going back to last week's episode where we talk about friction for traction, mm-hmm. you know, with no constraints, you have no direction. Um, and, and if you actually get into design theory, what you realize is that the constraint, you know, in the constraint is the, is the answer. So it, it, it's about managing trade-offs and, and, and the trade-offs that you're managing are feasibility. How hard will this be? Viability. Will this stick? Will it sustain? And desirability. How disruptive will it be? Will people like it? And, and, and you have to realize this is going on while everything is changing. So there is no place where, where you're there and it's like, okay, done. And that's why system design is so important. And, and, and that's where the proverbial, you know, you're, you're, you're changing the engine of an airplane flying at 35,000 feet. And, and what's interesting is, you know, why do companies raise money? Companies raise money because of the J-curve. And for those of you that don't know what the J-curve is, the J-curve is that whenever you start a new initiative, you go down before you go up. 
put it in another way, you may be familiar with the phrase, you got to spend money to make money, right? It's never been said you got to make money to spend money, right? With the theory being, I get to make the money before I spend the money. And by the way, the faster you want to grow, the more you got to spend before you get the money, right? And, and so the reason for, you know, why does GE issue $2.1 billion worth of bonds? Because of the J curve, right? Why do companies raise money? Because of the J curve. You, you look at Imagine, when we started, we, we, we weren't allowed to have a J curve. Yeah. J curve meant death. <laughs> someone, someone came into me one time and, and was telling me what we needed to do and, and, and actually had predicted where the J curve was. And I said, okay, great. Who are the three people I lay off between here and the bottom of the J curve? Yeah. And then how do I execute on this plan with those three fewer people? And their response was, well, Doug, you have to understand you got to invest before. No, no, no. I get that. Yeah. Right. Um, but by the way, if, if I had that money to invest, if I could take that J curve, I probably wouldn't have been out looking for someone to help, you know, right. You know, provide that answer. So, so, you know, it, it's understanding all that while you're executing it. It's understanding that, that you're never the company you want to be and, and, and learning how to be okay with that. And, and so that design of the system is the structure and that is the invisible hand that, that drives everything. And that's why documenting business process, things like that is so important. So you, so you kind of dug into the purpose. You talked about providing structure, maximizing value. That's, that's the purpose of it. Um, why, why is it important though? Like, I, I understand, I understand what it is, but why, why is that, why is system design so important? Why do we always go back to system design? Why is oxygen important, Jess? <laughs> um, so I had a coach, um, not super early. So I guess midway into my career who said you, you're always either a part of your system or someone else's. And then he followed that up by, by saying, put another way, you can be the windshield or you can be the bug. Um, and, and there are, there are fundamentally three systems. If you, if you think about it, there's your system, their system, and no system. No system is anarchy and chaos. And, and by the way, no system is a system. There's somebody else's system. And that's by the way, why I've never, you know, I, a mantra I've always lived by is your competition is irrelevant. And, and that doesn't mean that your competition doesn't matter. It just means it's irrelevant because if I view the world through the lens of my competitor, then I'm playing my competitor's game. It, it's why I've never worried about people stealing our stuff. It's why I share what I share on these on these podcasts. Because guess what? If you want to share my stuff, you're going to play my game. And if we're going to play my game, I have enough confidence that even if you're going to play it, I'm going to be able to beat you at it. Now, what I know even, what I have even more confidence in actually, because people know that part about me and so they think I'm arrogant. But, but what is actually more true is that I know if I play your game, you will beat me. Yeah. Right. So what I know is I know how to win at my game. And every time I play somebody else's game, you know, maybe not every time, but a hell of a lot more frequently than, than when I play my game. I mean, candidly, even when I win, I end up losing. Um, and, and so it's not sustainable. Um, so there's always a system at play. I mean, the, you know, Adam Smith called it the invisible hand of capitalism, or maybe he just called it the invisible hand. The, the invisible hand is, is, is the system. Now, now what I'm going to say is that probably 
at best, two thirds to three quarters of the system is invisible. You'll never actually be able to define it clearly, understand it, et cetera. And, 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 and the reason for that is there's just, there's just far too much complexity. You know, Jess, if a butterfly flaps its wings in Transylvania, mm-hmm. it rains in San Antonio. <laughs> right. You know, I'm a big believer of I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be in somebody's system. So a, I just assume it'd be mine. And, and I just assume be as intentional as possible. And by the way, sometimes intention, intentionality is choosing where you're not going to be intentional. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so like I, I have this really interesting relationship with AI and I'm aware of it. It, it actually interests me. I'm really curious about it. I don't pay a lot of attention to it though. And I actually sometimes work to not pay attention to it because I know if I start it to, I'd get sucked in. You know, my read on it is that there are people that are going to take advantage of it and they're going to get advantages from it. And they have an understanding and a, and a development that I don't have. And, yeah. and as best I can tell for, for us, and, and, and in the world that we're in, it has marginal impact. So I have, you know, enough understanding, you know, someone's going to say, well, you know, five years from now, you're going to regret if, if you don't do that, you know, if you don't pay all of your attention to that. And I'm going to be like, well, that, that operates on the assumption that if I paid all, all of my attention on that, I would be making enough of the right choices to, to navigate it successfully. And um, yeah, I don't think that, you know, that's my game. So that, like, that's the wrong system for me to be in. Mm-hmm. You know, how do I make that trade-off decision? You know, we, we, we talk about data all the time. We talk about clean data all the time. Just had this conversation today. You know, it, it's a trade-off. If there were no constraints, if there was no resource allocation, if humans were not involved, then clean your data before you move your data would be a mantra we'd live by. Right. But, but what I know is when you try to clean your data, you pull a little thread that ends up taking forever. And I know that in a system involving change, momentum is critical. And there's nothing that stalls momentum faster than trying to clean up data. And, and, and by the way, the reason, one of the reasons for that is, is because as long as I'm cleaning it up, I, I'm not going to have a problem. And oh, by the way, my system is still working because I'm in the old system, right? I'm in the old, my, or my tech, my application is still working because I'm in the old application. So it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Well, I go to the new you know, now if the data cleanup hurts my momentum, that's okay because we're working in that system now, right? It's not the same thing. We're not, we're not getting to that change. So, so understanding those constraints is, is, is why we take that path. S- system design is why, you know, our conversation, um, I think it was last week or maybe it was the week before about, you know, the email that got sent to me for inbound marketing for, you know, utilizing HubSpot better. And why I said, no, it, they were absolutely right to send that to me. Right. Right. Because, you know, if resources were no issue, if there were no constraints, then no, they shouldn't have sent that to me. But that that's why says, because you can't, you know, system design is basically establishing the game and it sets the rules that you play by. And so do you want to, do you want to have a better chance of understanding the rules of your game? Or would you just assume, you know, without system design, it's like playing Uno with your two-year-old daughter. <laughs> Where you think after a few times, you're eventually going to pick up the pattern 
Yeah. What she's going to do. And you, you can't, because it's not just that whenever it happens. I mean, the only thing that's consistent about playing Uno with your two to six year old daughter is she always wins. Yep. But, <laughs> but, but she doesn't always win with Uno. Right. Right. So like, you can't even like, and again, I'm good at pattern recognition. I could not figure out a pattern. Um, that's, that was her system. Right. And so whenever I was playing Uno with her, and I don't think I'm the only one that's experienced this. I was playing her game. I was in her system. So that, I mean, that's why system design is important. It's, do you want to be so the field or do you want to be the bug? It's understanding the game. It's, it's being able to make better decisions. It's understanding the, the, it's, the I, I would say it's better understanding the game. I mean, cause, cause again, I don't, I think in the game that we play in life and in business, I don't think you ever understand the game. Right. And, and by the way, every time you begin to understand the game, the game changes. This is true. <laughs> So that is why that is why the greatest asset to any to anybody probably, but I'm going to say to any strategist, and this is I'm, uh, this might be something I run with a little bit more. I think most people who call them some call themselves strategists define themselves as having great answers. Answers are tactics, at best. Questions are good questions. That's where the strategy is. The ability to ask really good questions. So what system design does is it enables you to ask better questions. Show me the person asking themselves and others the better question. I'll show you the, the person that's winning the game. Um, so where do you start with system design? I, I like what you talked about where you said your system, their system, and no system. Because we, we talk about this with clients a lot where you know, they, they say they, they have nothing. And we talk to them about that's no system. That no system is a system. So where, where do you start if you're trying to, you know. Here. Here? Mm -hmm. You are here. Tell me more. So, so I thought you were asking me these questions because we had talked about, ta you know, our RevOps journey. So that's where I thought that these questions were still under the umbrella of. And, yep. And, and, and so where do you start? I actually thought that the question was going to be more about where do you start RevOps? And, and what, what I was going to say is like, you don't, you don't have to worry about starting RevOps. You don't have to worry about mm -hmm. starting system design. It's, it's going on. It's happening. You're not, I mean, you're making choices. You're making you're making decisions. You, you might not be making full decisions, right? <laughs> but but you're making decisions. By the way, when I say making full decisions, I'm not I'm not being sarcastic. There are there are a lot of people who like to say yes to things. They just can't stand saying no. And and, and I don't mean the the explicit no. I mean when you say yes to this, you have to realize you're saying no to a bunch of other things, or that yes is meaningless. But but by the way. If you say yes to something without saying, correspondingly saying, you know, proverbially saying no to the other things, that's a system and you're in that system and that's the design of your system, right? So, so here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you that your system is perfectly designed to produce the results that you're getting. <laughs> yeah, that makes right? sense. Yeah. You know, I, I, I used to ask the question, how many people here would describe their sales organization as being uh, high functioning, consistent, predictable with few to no surprises. And, and I, so I'd ask a group of, uh, you know, I'd be presenting to a group of 15 to 20 CEOs and maybe one or two people would raise their hand. And, and my response, you know, I've asked this question to, you know, hundreds of audiences. I've had thousands of responses and, and what I get is about, you know, a five to 15% yes rate. And most of that is kind of a hesitant yes. Yeah. 
And, I, and what I say is, look, if 80% of audiences responded yes to this question and you didn't, then you have a problem with your sales team. But when 80% of organizations respond no, then there's a problem with the system. The traditional function of sales still today, still dominant today, is designed to produce herky-jerky, inconsistent, disruptive, unpredictable results with lots of disruptions and surprises. And how do I know that? Because that's what the vast majority of them do, right? That's the system. You yeah. want to change that? Don't talk to me about changing the behavior. Don't talk to me about intent. Identify what's the underlying structure, right? What's, you know, where's, where's the underlying incentive? Where's this? What's happening here? What is beginning to cause the, you know, so where do you start with system design? You've already started. You're, you're designing your system every day. You're making these trade-offs every day, whether you realize it or not. So, so simply becoming aware of it. Um, you know, we talk about the three zones of execution, just beginning to bring that in to say, you know, here, here's the most important question that, that anyone can answer from a system design standpoint. If you want to start now, what are you not going to focus on? Oh, that's good. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and not what are you not going to focus on? That, that That's not the same thing as the two stop list or do not do list. I'm talking right. about of the seven critical initiatives that you have. Yep. Right. That are absolutely positively must have. Which one are you going to ignore right now? Which two are you going to ignore? Or what elements are you going to ignore right now? Yeah. What dysfunction are you going to accept right now? Right. Because you can't begin to create the space to work on something until you accept the fact that you're not going to work on other things. And so the three zones of execution says, what's the next 90 days? That's all about the results, the objectives that we need to hit. What's the long term? And then, and then where's our enablement zone? And I like to look at the enablement zone as enablement one, two, and three, right? So the enablement zone one is, is your, is, and by the way, RevOps isn't an enablement zone discipline. Um, we, you know, you can watch the three zones of execution in the blog post. We also have a three zones of execution piece um, in how we work, but, but so like my, my, my sales team, my implementers, et cetera, they're in the performance zone. You know, it's about getting the things done that need to get done to hit the objective. What, what my first enablement zone is it's staging. What are the changes that are coming? This is why you've heard us talk in the adoption conversation that you're launching every four months, you're launching four times per year. So it's yeah. like, you know, that enablement one is the 90 days, you know, it's not day 91 to 180. And then you could have enablement zone two and three, which would be each quarter, or you might go to enablement two, which is the six months between. And you kind of get this water fountain effect as, as you're staging things and you go, okay, okay, great. You know what? We're going to push this out. Cause here's the other thing that I've learned. Everything takes longer than you think it's going to take. This is true. And you know, what's interesting about that? It, that's okay. Okay. So this is going to be a really big stretch. You know, the show, this is us. Yes. Um, someone called it tragic point. <laughs> it's accurate. So, so, you know, it's in its final season. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things the show does is it, you know, it, 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 it does flash forwards and it shadows certain things. So, you know, one of the kids, Kevin, who's Hollywood star, you know, never in a relationship, you, you know, he ends up marrying somebody. 
And and I saw an interview with the actor who plays Kevin and, and what, and he was kind of telling about the story. And, and what he said was, you know, you're, you're going to love the ending, by the way, what actor in a show doesn't say you're going to love the ending. Um, you know, even, um, even uh, Anthony, um, my, Michael Hall from Dexter said, you're going to love the ending for, yeah. for the first round of Dexter. Um, anyhow. And, and what he said was it wasn't, you know, what it, it's kind of showing the arc that once Kevin becomes, you know, like once he accepts and becomes okay with being alone, that's when he finds like that. That's when he makes the connection. And, and, and there's, there's a lot of truth there, right? Like you have to, once you learn that you can be alone, yeah, then you can be with someone, truly be with someone. I actually tweeted the other day, if you're in SaaS sales and you, feel like you need to do a demo to be able to make the sale then you ain't <laughs> as sales and someone said well i used to think that way but you know you should do a demo i said no i'm not saying don't do a demo i'm saying right. once you know you don't need to do a demo right that's when your demo can become valuable yeah so um and holy cow because it's friday i forgot where you know how we got into this what was the uh uh you were talking about um no, once you realize that it's yeah. going to take longer. Once you realize, yeah. Like once you realize that's okay, you can actually start making progress. Yeah. Yep. Right. And 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 so like when you put something into an enablement zone two, mm -hmm. it it doesn't have to be in enablement zone one next. It's the it's the percolating thing. So if you have, okay, here's the stuff we're doing. Right. Here's the stuff we're staging. Here's the stuff we're percolating. And here's the stuff that that we're toying with and beginning to, right? Then, then you know what? If the performance zone ends up taking more than ninety days for you to get the, like, the system can accept that. the The difficulty is, in most systems, without calling out this intentionality, mm -hmm. it's now or later, right? And later has no definition. Yep. And, and so everything becomes, so, so if it matters, it's now. That's why it's so important to call out what you're not going to focus on. Correct. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, 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 but, but also kind of like, so the, the design of our system mm -hmm. is three execution zones, right? And just by saying that, right? Internally, right. just by saying that and repeating that and asking the question, what, what execution zone is that in? Yeah. Like, and you've seen this, you don't have to do anything else. <laughs> right. Right. So your, your, your kid says, mommy, can I do this? You get one response. If you give him an answer, you get another response. If you just say, do you think you should? Yeah. Right. That's a system design choice. You don't have to do anything. Right. And you change the system that you're in. That's what says, you know, so you can't be consistent if you don't know what to be consistent about. That's why. Oh, so yeah. we were, where do you start? So, yeah, you know, start, start somewhere, right? Like why start you know, it, like it, it, it's, it's, you know, the old Chinese proverb, the best time to plant a tree was a hundred years ago. The second best time is now. Yeah. Um, oh, here's what you do. You figure out, put, put the list of all the critical things that are going on. Mm-hmm. And then ask the question, if I can only focus on one thing, which one thing would have the biggest impact on all the other things? And that's where you start. And that's where you start. And you know what? If it turns out that you're wrong, don't go through some survey process and assessment and you spend the next six months figuring out which is the one thing and you do a regression analysis. Just freaking guess.
and get started or bring in a business process system design advisory organization and we'll we'll tell you where to start. What are what are some of the biggest challenges that you run into? So I'm actually interested when you get into system design and, you, and you're trying to plot this out. What are some of the biggest challenges that you run into? Tell me more about what you're asking. I'm not I'm not fully following. So, like you talked about, once you once you realize that it's going to take a long time, that that kind of frees you, sort of. So so where where are places that people get stuck? Where where are places that like that like just start. Yeah, I get it. But, but where are the places that, that this gets hung up, that it's, that it's hard to kind of do system design and, and, and outline your system. So one thing, and I'm, I'm sorry to be semantical. I didn't say it takes a long time. I said, it takes longer than you think it will. Okay. And that, that, that's fair. Yeah, no, you're right. And that's a different thing. I think that, well, we're, we were talking about um, a phase one pilot that we're going through with a client that's basically going from a no system system, uh, yeah. and by the way, very large organization, and and all kinds of messes are being found out in this, and we're you know, and that's not where it's supposed to be. And people yep. are getting you know, people are beginning to get frustrated, and and that's the first place where you you your natural approach is to go. Um, you know, you flinch, yeah. you break, and, and you, as a result, change what you're doing so you can get, quote unquote, back on the right track, except you're on the right track because the purpose of this is to find all of those messes. It's like step yeah. one is we need the truffle pig. Well, it's funny you say that because I think their initial reaction was like, shut it down. <laughs> shut it down. Now, now the mistake that was made and, and, and where I think we're going to emphasize this in the next similar situation even more is they thought we were managing their expectations when we said the promise is for group one, it's going to be messy. Right. And, and, you know, part of their fear was, well, if we tell you it's going to be difficult and messy, no one's going to want to participate. But, yeah. you know, that's actually not true. There's right. a subset of the people that are like, cool, that'll be fun exciting right like like i i'm like it, it's going to be messy okay cool see the problem that i have and i'm actually in this i mean i was in an early early stage beta almost alpha um in terms of where it was and i'm like yeah i'm happy to put on i'm happy to put up the messes because i think this is going to be something worthwhile I'm right gonna be able to break it we're going to you know i'm going to be involved in helping to to find where the shit is except the reason that i'm frustrated with it is they've already made the decisions Right. Yeah. Like, why? Why are you asking me for feedback? Why are you asking me for feedback? <laughs> yeah. Why am I supposed to go and find this break shit, and then you tell me, "Oh, well, no, this is why we're doing it that way." I'm like, "No, I understand. Look, look, you're smart people. I know you have a rationale for doing this. This doesn't work." So, um, are you saying the challenge is that it's not smooth, it's bumpy, it's messy? Oh, I mean, so so it, it's like this idea of 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 right. Yeah. And, and, and again, this is why, this is why this is enablement zone stuff. It's not, it's not performance zone stuff. Yeah. Right. It, it's understanding that, that yes, we're still doing this. And, and so we're, we're, we're boxing that in, which is why it should take more time. Right. Um, you know, what's the fastest way to increase your velocity? Slow down. Um, there's a massive effort. Like everybody wants to be done. Everybody wants to achieve the status of done. 
Yeah. Anyway, this is why agile is valuable. This is why agile works when agile is done properly. Do you know why agile works when it's done right? Because you're, it, it's iterations. You're not. Nope. That's not, not why. Okay. Why? Because, because <laughs> lots of people iterate and get stuck in the middle. Everything in the middle feels like failure. Mm-hmm. What's the key component to agile? The sprint. And at the end of the sprint, what's your status? I don't remember. It's been a lot. Done. It is done. Okay. You're done. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. The, okay. You've got the, okay. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. All right. Then we do our next sprint. Right. Yeah. It's not, it, you know, and, and, you know, Hey, something that was supposed to be done in the first sprint wasn't done. That doesn't mean it's in the next sprint. Right. And if yeah. it's in the next sprint, it's in the next sprint as it's, you know, as, and, it, and it's as done. Sprint so, too. Yeah. so you're getting that iteration Right. But you're always in a state of done. You're never more than a week away or, or whatever your sprint is from being done. Right. From being yep. complete. The sprint's complete. What did we learn? Right. Action, result, learn. Action, result, learn. Sprint. I mean, Agile is about what's the action we're going to take? What's the hypothesis? Mm-hmm. What was the result? What did we learn? Right. Right. You know, the scientific method is not intuitive. If it were, it wouldn't be the scientific method. It would be no, you wouldn't need to name it anything. You would just call it being right (laughs) the scientific method is hypothesis outcome learn yeah right and and if you go into academia well while the people who have a hypothesis and it turns out to be true oftentimes then monetize that hypothesis to be you know to be worth billions of dollars and the people who have a hypothesis that fails are unable to monetize that from from the scientific perspective a hypothesis that fails is every bit as valuable as a hypothesis that succeeds. And by the way, in a lot of cases, it's even more uh, valuable because you learn typically much more from a hypothesis that fails than from a hypothesis that succeeds. And by the way, so much so that if you're doing something like a drug, and so you have a hypothesis, this chemical makeup, that's going to produce a positive result, that if your hypothesis succeeds it turns out hey this was proven valid do you know what you have to do before it can be considered valid you have to do the null hypothesis you Mm -hmm. now have to prove that nothing else was the reason right because it could have worked just because of luck it could have worked because you just happened to pull the right group of people now in business we don't you know we're not we're not you know, we're not we're not producing pharma pharmacological substances that that, that could create problems for people. So, like, so we don't necessarily have to have the 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 same level of 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 validity in what we're doing. Right. But you know, I, I see people all the time talk about well, we need to test, we need to experiment. I mean, how many clients have we have we we need to test this? And so we test it and it doesn't work, and now they're mad. Yep. Right. I tell people when they, I'm like, look, if you're hiring us because you're thinking we have the right answers, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I tell them the reason to hire us is because we're not going to have the right answers. Yeah. And and most people in our situation, when they don't have the right answers and they don't, they get True. stuck. They don't know what to do. We're like, okay, great. I mean, we're probably at our best right after something didn't work. Oh, I agree. Yep. Yep. Right. And, you know, my, my brother calls it day two. Everything's always perfect day one. Everyone plans for day one. No one plans for right? day two. But but day two is where is where the difference occurs. Again, that's where systems, you know. So so realizing 
that you're never in your ideal state. You're never the company you want to be. You're never the person that you want to be, right? I mean, why, why do suicide rates go up? Because we're so committed to be the person we want to be. And the more we try to be the person we want to be, the more we become aware that we're not that person and we, and we can't live with the conflict. But when you can come and accept that, like, so, so when you realize you're not the person you want, you're never going to be the person you want to be. Yeah. That is either extraordinarily freeing or it is uh, claustrophobic, whatever the opposite of freeing is, constraining, right? It, 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 it sucks you down. And, and so, I, I mean, I think that's the biggest, um, you know, that, that, that is the biggest element. It, it, it's being able to be okay moving forward um, in doubt. I, I used to always ask the question, you know, a leader's job is to provide certainty, but how can you provide certainty when you're, when there is so much doubt? Yeah. Well, you know, one thing that you do, and by the way, this is system design, how long is your sprint? That's one aspect of system design. Yeah. Um, you know, I talk about the swing path. I talk about the inflection points in a sales process. How, how big should those inflection points be? Here's the question. How much variance occurs? Early, early on, you should have smaller inflection points. As things mm -hmm. become more consistent, you can broaden those inflection points. As, as things become more predictable, right? When, when, when the seas are calm and the wind is consistent, your waypoints are, are distributed. When the winds pick up, the seas get heavy and the storms come in, you tighten your waypoints, right? It, it, it's, it's situational. So again, it's also understanding that. It's understanding that, and by the way, in, in the world of sales and marketing, you're never going to be able to replicate your results because you'll never replicate the circumstance. So, you know, accepting that, accepting yep. that it's progress. And by the way, especially in the early stages of progress, you know what happens when you start making progress? What? You get really upset because you learn a whole lot about what's wrong. Yep. Right. And, and that feels like you've fallen backwards. Yep. Right. But, but that's just because you were, you were ignorant. You were unaware. You were delusional. Those things are, you know, that, that. What, what frees up system design is comfort with uncertainty. What clogs it is the desire for certainty. And, and by the way, that, that being said, it's also okay to say you have to, you have to, you don't control all of your outcomes, but you need to produce these outcomes by this time, or we're going to have to make a change. Both of those things are true. Yeah. All right. So my big takeaways are system design Can provides. I did I cover everything? You did. Wow. We solved it. Um, system design provides the structure, maximizes value, helps you manage the trade-offs within the constraints of the system. And then I also really liked what you said about system design enables you to ask better questions. Like that's so true. I think we should be thinking about it that way. I don't think we think about what questions does it, does it help us ask versus what, what answers does it give us? I mean, I, I will tell you the way you can assess the intelligence and capability of somebody is what's the quality of their questions. And on that note, happy Friday. Happy Friday. And that's a wrap on this episode of The RevOps Show. Like Jess just mentioned, system design helps you to ask better questions. That's 
huge. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to go subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and share the episode. If you have any questions you would like to ask Doug or Jess about system design or anything RevOps related, email me at hannah at imaginellc.com or hit us up on Twitter at DemandCreator. Until next time, remember, can't solve your upstream problems downstream.